Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 168 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to have Mobin Khan, Chief Operating Officer of Blues Wireless, a full-stack solution to connect any device to any cloud. Mobin has been leading and developing innovative products for the Internet of Things, mobility, and enterprise and consumer software markets for over a decade. After early entrepreneurial experience in natural language processing, he went on to lead AT&T's Internet of Things strategy and product management for nearly eight years. Recognized as an industry thought leader in the IoT space, he holds patents pending in the use of blockchain in device management and IoT edge enablement. Mobin earned his Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering and his Master of Science in Wireless Communications from Rutgers and his MBA from Columbia. Mobin, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Ken, thank you very much. Good morning to you, and thank you for inviting me to this amazing platform you have introducing entrepreneurs in the IoT world. Ah, well, thank you so much for the kind words, and you truly do earn the title of not only entrepreneur, but serial entrepreneur, of which we'll cover a bit in this discussion. So first, I always like to ask about one's digital thread, in other words, the one or more thematic threads that define their digital industry journey. What would you consider to be your digital thread? Yeah, so, I mean, for the last two decades that I've been in my work life, the pace of digital transformation, it has gone on by many names. And the pace of information technology overhaul, which has also gone off in many names, has continuously increased. And what I was fortunate in my career and in the digital thread, as you call it, is that I've always been on sort of the leading edge of technology. And what I've been able to do is to take these leading edge technologies and bring them to market and scale. So it's about taking new technologies, letting the business to business, B2B or B2B to C customers adopt it and scale it. Examples of this are, as you mentioned in your introduction, in voice recognition systems that are now prevalent in all our devices, the early days of wireless data that is embedded in our phones today, the IoT solutions and platforms that are various and available at all cloud providers and large tech companies. So I've had a chance to work at all of those in the very, very early stages of technology development and then on to scaling. Not only, as you say, you know, being on the leap, but I think of that second part that you said, scaling is really important. And especially given the work you did at uh, AT&T, you not only scaled quite a few companies, but of course, in some sense, scaled both an offering and an industry. So I'll look forward to talking about that in a moment. What I found interesting, I always like to look at these kind of bridges, if you will, from where people have come from to where they are. And I saw you had an early career in strategy consulting. You founded your first startup in Zigo and then really scaled that up. So tell us a bit about the company, what inspired you to create it, what some of the early lessons around it taught to you. Yeah, Inzigo was a great experience. But before I go there, I have to have to talk about my very first job, which was really my training ground. And it was with a company, and you probably know this, 
a company called Ram Mobile Data back in the days in the 90s. It was the first company to bring like two-way communication devices like what was called a BlackBerry pager and a Palm 7 device, a handheld for white-collar workers. BlackBerry pager was for a blue-collar worker. And it was sort of the first foray into solutions to connected humans or connected workers, if you will. And I had an opportunity to work there, call it a zero-G kind of solutions at that time. And we worked on all kinds of things that we're taking for granted today, you know, like our cell phones, uh, connected cell phones with applications and so on. So that was my first foray there. And one thing that I learned from working there as a systems engineer, I went on to become product manager and then also worked in sales. The one thing that it taught me was the entire user experience from building the product to the first time a customer touches it to its lifecycle management is so important in the scaling piece of the business. And many times young companies and young entrepreneurs, I shouldn't say young, but entrepreneurs spend a lot of time on the technology, but not enough time on the user experience and the lifecycle management. And for scaling, that is so, so important. And I took that experience into Inzigo, which was slightly different. It was around voice recognition and embedding voice recognition into products and into services. We had a great run for a few years, and then the company got sold. But think of this as Siri and Google, but more in the call center space. And we worked with large financial institutions and retailers who were fielding a lot of calls The main lessons I learned there was, well, I learned how to raise money. (laughs) It's my first time doing that, and it was an interesting experience. And then the second thing it taught me was how important is your earliest team around you that you come in. And that can make or break the company. The DNA of that team and the, the camaraderie of that team was so, so important. And I made my fair share of mistakes there. But that was my biggest lesson learned. Yes. So raising money, we'll talk in a few minutes how that lesson not only served you well, but how you're giving back in that regard. I certainly couldn't agree with you more on the team aspect of it. People tend to forget when you're talking about a co-founder or founders, you can do the percentage to figure out their influence on the company. And if you're one founder and you bring in another, they're 50% influence on that company, right? And you keep on going down from there. And how critical that is. Somebody gave me the advice when I was a young entrepreneur of, Think about a coast-to-coast car trip, and who Mm. would you be willing to put in that car with you that you're going to eat with? You'll be sleeping in the car the whole schmoo. And that really does make you think, right? Who do I want to go through this journey with in that regard? So, you know, great lesson learned. So let's fast forward to your time at AT AT&T. So first, you were the uh, chief marketing officer for their advanced mobility solutions, then went over to head up their strategy for Internet of Things, where I believe we first met, because I believe you had invested in Exceda at the time, which was a company, was a peer company to ThingWorks. What was your remit in that IoT role? And what were some of the key wins across your tenure there? Yeah, so it was really great. I, you know, I'm coming off of an entrepreneurial journey here, and there were some leaders at AT AT&T that I had a chance to meet through some friends. And At that time, they were putting together, this is almost 10 years ago, they were putting together a group of, you know, internal and and some external leaders to um, set up a business unit for mobile enterprise solutions. So think about connected tablet applications and field service applications and even some machine-to-machine applications, but all about mobility and B2B. And the chief marketing officer at AT AT&T, who I was interviewing with, 
at that time told me that he wanted to bring in some outside blood into the company and uh, you know especially with people who had some entrepreneurial background and uh, it would be a good mix with the current leadership and they offered me the role of leading the marketing group at this unit called advanced mobility solutions and i was skeptical at first but he gave me a line and he said where else can you grow this business from a hundred million to a billion dollars in three years and we are all behind it and I was like, okay, that can be a really fun ride. And it was. And, you know, there was other leaders involved and it was set up as a separate business unit, sort of had a lot of, the rules were slightly different, if you will. AT&T, of course, is a huge company. And so this group was not run like a large company, it was run like an entrepreneurial company. And so, yeah, I had a lot of fun. And that led me into the next role there, which was they sort of created on the similar lines, a business unit in IoT, the AT&T IoT solutions. And I had the chance to lead some of the above the stack solutions, which is sort of things that AT&T would be offering beyond connectivity and connectivity management. And so I had a chance to lead some of the applications, platforms, devices, end-to-end solutions in different areas. And so that was a lot of fun as well. And that's where, as you said, you and I had a chance to cross paths where we were working with some of the early platform companies. Later on, we built our own platforms as well. And of course, AT&T is best known for its vehicle solutions, both in the consumer space for connected car and fleet management. And I had a chance to lead that group as well. You know, the conversation you had with the CMO reminds me of one I had with a mentor who was a chief technology officer at a large company of which I was employed at the time. And he called it the Archimedes principle. He said, look, what's the old phrase? If uh, give me a lever long enough and I can move the world. Yeah. And effectively, he was saying the same thing. It's like, stay with us because I was contemplating going and doing something entrepreneurial very early. And he was like, no, where else can you create the kind of leverage you can get you know, by staying at this company and helping us move? And I ultimately stayed. Uh, my experience was not probably as good as yours. <laughs> I should have gone over to the startup side. But I do remember that scale discussion that we had as well. Now, in your case, it's interesting because, as you and I know in the audience does, the telcos were an early leader in the machine and IoT solutions. So basically leveraging the connectivity footprint to expand from connecting people to connecting assets. Who among the telcos do you think really did it well in terms of success of their IoT initiatives? So, you know, if this is an unfair question for me. You know, I still bleed blue from AT&T. So I think there are several telcos that followed different strategies and met with success in different parts of the world as well. So I'll talk about AT&T first, of course, because I know that I think in the early days, the biggest scale that we saw coming in the M2M space was coming from vehicles. This is when companies like GM and Ford and then eventually Tesla really, really overall that whole experience wanted to give two types of connectivity into the car. One was for the consumers to connect their streaming services and so on. But the other was to the dealership and to the product managers, the ability to look at how a car is being used and all kinds of maintenance and predictive maintenance kind of solutions. And it was a scaled case, but it was very difficult because we all know that the vehicle's product cycles are five to seven years from the inception of a new model or a redesign of a new model to the time that it actually hits the dealership. 
And we were patient and we worked with them and built those out. But as a side benefit, we also had a chance to scale out and work with uh, fleet management companies on the commercial side of this. So from a leadership perspective, AT&T did an amazing job penetrating that space. And it's still till today, they are leaders in that space now working with these car companies on 5G solutions. I think outside of that, of course, uh, Verizon in the U.S., followed a slightly different strategy. They went on an acquisition binge and they acquired a lot of different small to mid-sized companies in this space to counter. And they had some limited success there, but it was a bold strategy move. Outside the US, I would say Vodafone has done a really, really good job providing a global footprint in IoT. Telefonica has done the same in Europe as well as in Latin America, KDDI in Japan. Deutsche Telekom has had some successes. They invested in this company called Once, number one NCE, to make connectivity easy to consume. And of course, you cannot have this discussion without talking about the Chinese telecom companies that started on late in this space, but now have the most number of connections by far. Probably all of these companies combined, especially in the smart city space, they have an amazing number of meters and city assets connected. So I think telcos have done great and they continue to do great. You know, AT&T is where we have a, at Blues Wireless, have a great relationship with, and they are also a very small minority investor in us. You know, uh, probably to that uh, list, and you came close with KDDI, I'd probably add SoftBank, whose strategy is completely different yeah. from everybody else's, but who have probably been more influential in many of the underlying technologies in IoT, like ARM, as an example, right? Absolutely. So, um, and, and yeah. <laughs> funny you say that because I think of them more as like diversified investor than yep. a telco. You're absolutely right. That's the roots. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting model they're leading. So an investor friend of mine said, Every day he gets up and looks himself in the mirror and says, you know, I'm not going to let Tiger Global beat me today. And uh, I think sometimes uh, you'd have to add SoftBank to that list as well. (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned Blues Wireless. So in January of 2020, you joined the infamous uh, Ray Ozzy to start Blues Wireless. What inspired you to co-create the company and what are your key products and services? First, for the audience who don't know Ray Ozzy, I have to sort of give him a little introduction. He's a larger-than-life personality, was best known for the creation of Lotus Notes, which was one of the earliest collaborative tools out there. And then he had a series of startups leading him into Microsoft, where he was the chief software architect for Bill Gates. He created what is the underpinnings of a lot of the connected products at Microsoft, Azure and SharePoint and Office 365 and so on. He's probably the most brilliant engineer I've known ever. He creates and he creates and he creates and he creates till today. He's the CEO co-founder of Blues Wireless, but he still creates today. I had a fortune of meeting with him when I was at AT AT&T. He is on the technical advisory board to the CEO of AT&T Corporate. And when we were investing a lot in the whole IoT, especially in low-power, wide-area networks. That was a large investment for the company. And Ray was sort of helping look at the vision and sort of helping us from a product strategy perspective. And his push to us was, you have to make this technology developer-friendly. And coming from a telco, it is sometimes difficult to appreciate that sentiment. But he kept on pushing. And AT&T, we did invest in certain software development kits. We built our own platforms as well. But 
we were probably not successful. I can uh, not probably. We were not successful in getting the minds and the hearts of the developer community as much. And so Ray at that time went off, and he had had some prior experiences with IoT after the Fukushima disaster in Japan, where they helped local population through some nonprofits to collect data, radiation data off of the ground zero there. So he appreciated how to build those solutions. So he created Blue's Wireless and created the earliest of the technology there. And later on, he and I had a conversation and I went on to join him. It's been a great ride since. So your value proposition focuses on simplifying the connection of device to cloud, referring to your own note card as a data pump, which I think is an interesting phrase. So how has this accelerated IoT development, at least versus how it has been done previously? Yeah, you and I have gone through many, many type companies on both supply side and demand side in IoT. And what we saw is a common theme running in the when you're creating products or recreating connected products is that the engineer, the developer, the product manager go through the same steps of manually integrating about a dozen technologies. You know, this is about how do you use a SIM, AT command sets for a modem, uh, radio technologies, the network platforms and APIs, some sensors and so on. So if you're building a connected coffee maker or you're building a connected container or whatever have you, everyone goes through the same steps. And they waste anywhere from a million dollars and 10 months doing that. And not just that, these technologies are so varying, like you have to become a security expert, then you have to become a network expert, you have to become a modem expert, and so on. And that wastes a lot of time. And so what we did with NoteCard is take those problems away from you. What you can do, a POC and a POC to a pilot and a pilot to a product with the same infrastructure, the same APIs, the same solution. And so the best compliment we get is you guys just saved us a million dollars in nine months by introducing us to the note card. So that's really the acceleration that we are giving. I talked about this whole user experience thing at the beginning of the podcast. This is giving that amazing user experience in the early days to the actual developer of the solution. Where they still have to do work is getting the data into the note card on sort of the bottom of the stack, if you will, and then figuring out what they want to do with the data that's being produced, you know, integrate it into their existing applications or build a new application, whatever. But everything in the middle, that's why we call it a data pump. It just takes data from the sensors and it just delivers it to you in the cloud. And it's a single price. It's very easy to use. The ROI is pretty attractive. And that user experience is amazing. So you mentioned saving a million dollars, which sounds like a pretty interesting use case in and of itself. But what have been some of the most interesting uses you've seen of your note card? Yeah, so I think the value proposition, again, is really accelerating the deployment of scaled commercial IoT for connected products. So the note card is designed for connecting a lot of what we call low power, wide area kind of products. This is not a solution for streaming video, for example, or surveillance system. It's not for autonomous driving, low latency 5G solutions. But this is great for anything where you need to do monitoring of machines, some sort of predictive maintenance, two-way communications to external assets, as well as as supply chain tracking. So it's open to many, many verticals and many use cases. But where we are seeing a lot of traction, or I would say there are three 
sort of general areas. Number one is commercial or gray goods. What I mean by gray goods, we're all familiar with white goods. You know, this is, you know, refrigerator, dishwasher, so on in your home. But I call gray goods the commercial versions of this. This is your commercial coffee maker that a barista uses in a coffee shop. It's the washer and dryer in a laundromat. This is commercial kiosks and so on. Connecting there, you find there is a use case. There is willingness to invest because of operational and this whole digital transformation that most companies are going through. And so we're finding a lot of commercial product use cases. The second area is in tracking of supply chains for perishable and high-value goods. And that's important because it's not just where the supply chain assets are, but it's in what condition they're in. Whether you're shipping shrimps or vaccines, it's important to know what kind of environmental effects it has had during their transfer. And it's very important for both shippers as well as people receiving those to know where their supply chain has been. So that's a second area. And then the third area, which is on the rise, is I call it environmental monitoring. And this is, think of wastewater, flood water, buoys, fire, air quality, all kinds of environmental, climatic kind of monitoring solutions that both from a government perspective and investment perspective and also from a commercial perspective we see on the rise. So commercial goods, supply chains, and environmental monitoring are three sort of categories of solutions where NoteCard is being used and many, many types of use cases are being built around it. Yeah, it's a pretty hot area, especially a supply chain, uh, given the pharmaceutical or cold chain supply chain needs these yep. days. And we're just completing a study that we've done to support our own investments internally on supply chain trends and kind of what we expect in terms of predictions in there. And I tell you, you talk about an area ripe for disruption, as we've seen, you know, both from shipping channels and, and the ships sitting off ashore. So earlier we talked about your early lesson around having to fundraise early, clearly that set in because not only have you learned that lesson, but you've gone and started to give back in terms of investing in other companies as well. So when you're not starting and scaling your own companies, you're doing the same now via your co-founding of the Mentors Fund. In fact, I believe we're a co-investor with you in Nubix. Yes. A pretty hot company that we like quite a bit as well. Tell us a bit about the fund and some of your other investments. Yeah, you know, for any entrepreneur, especially a first-time entrepreneur, raising that very first round is the hardest thing you do because you're relatively unknown and you usually have a groundbreaking, category-breaking idea and very few people who are willing to put money behind it. And so I had to go through that. You know, we all have gone through that. And so I wanted to help other entrepreneurs with that and also put in some money with that. So I've been fortunate to have been engaged in so many of these startups and wanted to give some back. And so I was doing this at an individual level. And then I found out that there are a lot of my friends and friends' friends, and they are all trying to do that. And four years ago, we decided, hey, why can't we do this as a group as opposed to just doing this individually? So we set up this fund called Mentors Fund, and I'm one of the founding partners there. And it's about 60 of us. And we all pitched in. We are all our own LPs in this fund. And we have areas of expertise. So I look at companies that are in the IoT connected products, AI space, for example, and advise the fund and sometimes source them. And that was my, for example, work with Nubix, working with Rachel and the ideas that they had and 
bringing them into Mentors Fund and then with you and a few other investors funding the early stage of their uh, investment round. So I love that part of my work, using that part of the brain as an investor. Every day I learn new things from that, and it's very exciting. Our uh, listeners, of course, will know because I repeat it often, but they say that life is divided into three phases. You have learning, earning, and returning. And I often joke that venture capital is returning with return because you are returning. But as you said, you learn a lot. It is so much fun to be exposed to these entrepreneurs, to understand what they're seeing in the world, what their clients are asking of them, and some of the interesting use cases they're doing. So for anybody who has such aspirations, I'd certainly recommend it as a near retirement activity, if you will. So. <laughs> Although I, don't I, I think you and I are retired. too young to retire, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you beat me to it. <laughs> so tell me about some of the key trends you're tracking, both between your work with the Mentors Fund, but also your work at Blues Wireless. Yeah, so at Blues Wireless, there's a whole way that enterprise software and IoT software is being adopted, and it's all under the product-led growth model, where in the older days that we were selling B2B, especially, you sold to a committee, and there was a CIO in that committee, and there was a finance person and a procurement, and some of that still exists. But the selling now starts at the user level in the product-led growth model. You know, it's think of how companies adopted Slack, for example, or Airtable, and, and many of these products that they use internally. It all starts with a user trying a free subscription or low-cost subscription to a service and then bringing it inside the enterprise. And that whole model is permeating every single startup. And one of the things that we look at, especially in the B2B space at the Mentors Fund, and we follow to the dot in Blues Wireless, is our adoption of the product-led growth model, which means make sure that the user experience on day one of your product for one user, for one note card, for one product being connected, whether it's for a hobbyists or it's for the largest oil company in the world building connected rigs, is exceptional. So we turn to focus on that and we tend to, as an investor, I like to bet on companies that have thought through or are thinking through those kind of adoption cycles. It goes all the way back to what I kind of interpreted you said earlier as really kind of focusing on the customer lifetime journey initially, right? In some sense, minimum viable journey, if you will, mm -hmm. right? If you can make the first one through, the rest of it becomes iterative after that. And so uh, it's an interesting thematic to have, actually, to look at it that way. I heard, certainly heard thematics where people look at the quality of the founders, per se, right? Or certainly the uniqueness of the technology. This is certainly another interesting aspect as well. So in closing, I always like to ask you know, where you find your personal inspiration. Yeah, I like to keep my brain active as much as possible and your body, of course. But for that, I go to the gym or play sports. But the brain active, there's a couple of ways. One is I like meeting really, really smart people, people smarter than me who know something. And what satisfies me a lot is just learning a new thing, a new situation or handling a new challenge every day. I say a day that I learn something new is a good day. A day that I am actually able to solve a complex problem is a better day. And then at the end of the day, you know, life is short. So a day where I have meaningful interactions with my family and friends is the best day. So you have to take time out for that. So I try to find my inspirations with people, basically, and people who are smart and people that I love. 
certainly would explain your interest in working with Mr. Ozzy. And uh, I can only imagine as the way you've described him that every workday must be interesting with him and at least qualifying at the good day, if not the better day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, Mobin, thank you for sharing this time with us and these insights today. No, thank you, Ken, for inviting me to this platform. You guys have a great thing going at Momenta, and I'm certainly enjoying interactions here as well as co-investing together with some of the work with Blues Wireless. So thank you again for the time and the conversation. Yeah, and thank you as well for putting this time in and certainly for all of the interactions that we've had along the way. Under your rule of trying to hang around smarter people, I feel like I'm getting the better side of that deal. So, (laughs) (laughs) I know that's not true. So this has been Mobin Khan, Chief Operating Officer at Blues Wireless and founding partner of Mentors Fund. Thank you for listening and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Thread podcast series. Thank you and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.